Yeah, thank you for giving generously to Larry. You know, uh, usually you give take up offerings after the guy preaches. That way, he, your heart's more softened. Uh, you know, but I'm trusting your heart's already softened. You know, so you know. Plus, you know, I'd probably forget it if I waited. So, anyways, we had a great retreat. Larry did gave us some amazing messages. As always, he's. We really love him. We love his ministry. We love him as a person. He's really a great, a, a great guy. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, Larry is uh, not doing a lot of ministry this year because he's had health issues. And so he had five things he was going to do this year. And thank God we were one of the five he picked. So we feel real, we feel real blessed and real special that he would come here and do this. So I said that, and I really believe that, but I also said it so maybe you'd be a little bit more generous. <laughs> Lord bless you. Okay, Larry Randolph, come on up here. Thank you. Whoa, thanks, Pastor. Wow. Yeah, I picked you guys for a lot of reasons. You know, one was, as I said earlier, Bob was so loved you guys so much, and here we go. That's a good, that's a good bunch up there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we love you. You ever get a chance now? And I just love being with you guys. Love the family feeling that I have here as well. So um, anyway, as I said to him, I just want to say this to you again. As I said to the men's meeting, you have you really have no idea how much Bob loved this church, Bob Jones, and the people. You have no idea. He bragged about you guys a lot, like it was his church. You know, in Bob's head, everything belonged to him anyway. So, <laughs> but that was great. So, uh, anyway, so I'm a little shuttle here. Just a minute. Let me find some stuff here. And you know what? These are my uh, supposed to, these are my uh, uh, wrong glasses. You know, uh, thank you. These are my Eric Clapton glasses. I need my regular reading glasses. Um, yeah. So, uh, this, is, uh, this is, is not a purse, just in case you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I'm up here looking through my purse, and you guys watch it. It's like, my gosh, this thing is going south already on me. It's like, like you know what? I need to find my glasses in here. And I'm worse. I feel like my wife. Like, where's it at? You know? Oh my gosh! One of our friends, a lady, a friend of mine, uh, ministry. She has her phone. When you call against her, she said, "Hey, this is Peggy." This is Peggy Sell. I'm in a bomber purse. I'm sure she's trying to find me right now, but <laughs> leave a message and she'll get it. Wow. So you heard about the uh, cowboy days, the cowboy dog, three-legged dog? The cowboy three-legged walks in a bar and pulls his gun out and says, I'm looking for the man that shot my paw. Anyway, that's, that's, never mind. That wasn't that funny, but uh, I couldn't think of anything else right now, but, uh, except what do they call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. Um, cow with two legs? Lean beef. Cow that jumped over a, bob, a barbed wire fence? Utter destruction. I, I think I need to move on here. <laughs> what happens? You throw a miner down a. <laughs> when you throw a piano down a mine shaft, what do you get? 
A flat minor. Oh, I, I, I can keep going, but I, I don't think I should. My wife's not here, but I can still feel her presence. It's the, she doesn't do a, she does an eye roll, but it's so slow nobody sees it but me. Anyway. So just to expedite time. Let me get, so this is my Bible, but I'm not opening it uh, because uh, if you're looking for a text, I'm just saying, well, how about John 3.16? That's a good one because I'm not teaching. I just want to share from my heart from me, but we'll have, it will be infused with Scripture and biblical principles, but I don't have a platform text to leak from. But if you need one, like if you were raised where they had to have one, no matter what you said, there had to be a platform text. John 3.16 is a good one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. So we can go, from there, we can leap anywhere you want to go. So, so anyway, so I'd like to talk to you about a couple of principles, and I think it's relevant for the church here, that's uh, appropriate for who we're at today, and they're inseparable laws, uh, laws that govern the shape of our destiny, and I believe we're standing at the threshold of a great shift, a great destiny in the earth, and God is inviting us to partner with Him in one of the most exciting times in recorded history as a church. I do believe that. I believe America the beautiful is going to become America the more beautiful, I believe that God's, uh, God's grace to this country is going to extend, and I don't believe God's abandoned this company. I believe he's about to, a country. I believe he's about to make a move on this country like we have never seen before. And uh, there are certain, there are certain, there's a hope that we need to have that, uh, you know, um, I, everybody else, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care who you vote, what you're voting for. I'm just voting for God when I go to the booth. That's all. Whoever, you know, I'm just going to ride him in, you know, God. But um, he's going to have his way, and... and uh, and the way he's going to have his way is he's going to really invest himself stronger into the church because as it goes with the church, so it goes with the nation because we are the flagship, you know, um, and <clears throat> a piece that God has set, you know, in culture, and that is the church. The church, you know, out of the church flows the kingdom because the Scripture said eventually, I'll prove it to you because the kingdoms of this world will eventually become the kingdoms of the Lord in his Christ. So God rules all in the seed of of kingship rest inside the belly of the church. And so um, I have great hopes because there's a great God with a great church, with a great people and a great nation. I am just so excited about where we're going. We may hit some bumps and bruises and along the way and have to wait till somebody moves out of the way, but eventually we're going to get there. So didn't mean to go there, but I just say that we have to, uh, there's some things we have to do. And I want to give you maybe two, maybe three uh, uh, laws in the spirit that is relevant for today. And one is the law of posture. I want to talk to you a minute about what that means as a, as a man of God or a woman of God. What does the law of posture mean? And I'll talk to you about the law of adaptability and how that equals the law of serendipity. And I think you're thinking, what the heck is he talking about? Uh, you know, <laughs> so, so um, uh, did he just talk to Lance Wallnow on the phone or something? But anyway, it's like, I don't know, but he's an old friend of mine. And, and I told him I discovered the eighth mountain, but you didn't know him, you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, he won't know where I said in Arkansas. And then he didn't believe me. So, um, so let me talk to you about law of posture. Let me tell you, uh, and then we'll talk about how that plays into the law of adaptability. There has to be a proper po- a posture, a proper uh, adaptability to, to that posture. And the, the end result is serendipity. And I think that's an interesting word. You don't hear much. 
but it really is a plays into what God does in his people in his church, and that is the lost serendipity. And I believe we're about to step into the lost serendipity. And, but before we go there, let me talk about how to get there. What do I mean by posture? When I say the law of posture, uh, Webster says posture is a frame of mind uh, that affects your behavior, your attitude, your outlook, your position, and your stance in life. The way you posture, let me put it there, the way you posture yourself will determine the shape of your future. It will determine your friends. It will determine your environment. It will determine your trajectory and the earth. It will determine the culture you run will. It will determine your destiny, purpose and destiny weigh on the law of posture. It is relative to the law of posture. So alignment or posture becomes before assignment. You cannot have a full assignment until you have a direct alignment. So when, you know, when, when you know, people that feel they have a destiny and feel that they're called a destiny, like is all we do, we soon find out that in God, we just don't have a vision of a destiny, and the next day we wake up and we're standing in our destiny. There's a lot of prepositioning and alignments that go on. So alignment must precede assignment. And one of the problems we have in life is we think because we have an assignment, that assignment's going to arbitrarily happen the next day without us having to learn how to walk in a way of posturing ourselves in the best place for God to bring us into that assignment. So alignment is the trajectory to your place of assignment. So, um, so, so that's important. So, so alignment comes before that, and as a result of that, success and failure and destiny are way heavy on, on alignment. I mean, you that are women in this room know this. The assignment when you're impregnated is to have the baby. But before you have the baby, there are different postures and different uh, pieces of, of, um, of posturing that that baby has to take before that baby is born. You will not have a baby born natural until that baby repostures itself for birth and repositions itself. And uh, what do you call it? The baby turns? Is that what you call it? So a year or so ago, the Lord said to me, the baby is turning in the church, and I'm reposturing the baby to be born. Because if you do not posture, and if the baby does not posture head first to come to be born normally, problems and complications happen. And the problem we have, if you can hear nothing else to say, hear this, is that we're too quick to induce labor before the posturing is perfect. So we want something to happen so quickly because we're impatient, when in fact we need to look for the right posture that will organically bring forth the assignment or the revelation of what is coming. So let me give you some examples about how important posturing is. In John 21, told you I'd use a scripture. And, and John 21, remember the story that Peter is fishing all night long. Now, as he fishes all night long, Jesus in his resurrected form is standing on the shore. Peter has drifted so far from God because he has disowned him and disowned Jesus and, and the whole bit that he didn't even recognize Jesus in his resurrected form. That's how far he had drifted from. He didn't rec- John, who was a friend of God, said, it is the Lord. John's always perceived Jesus. Peter sometimes have a little problem perceiving something fresh and different. But John was because John, John was a friend of Jesus. Anyway, that's another teaching. So, they're, they're in the boat. They've fished all night long. Jesus is saying, have you caught any fish, children? And they say, Peter said, oh, we, we've toiled all night long and we have caught nothing. So if you're doing something all night long or if you're doing something in a very long term and you don't seem to be making any headway, it may be a posturing problem. And so, so he said, we fished all And Jesus, what did he say? He said, 
cast your net on the other side. So they cast their net on the other side, and such a great mass of fish they caught, 153. The neck broke was trying to break getting the fish on board. Now, here's what you need to know historically about the boat they were fishing in. Uh, historians say that boat, uh, that small fishing boat, wasn't any much more than like about not even three foot wide. So 36 inches of movement was able to shift unproductivity to absolute overproductivity by a small reposturing out of obedience to the word of the Lord. Now, it's just about repos- not just about reposturing. It's about reposturing when God asks you to posture. Here's the problem. We want, to, we, we want to posture if God says something grandiose to us. I want you to sell everything you got, and I want you to move to Hukubukamaka, India. <laughs> now, he may tell some people that. That's all right. But we're more willing to do that than the little teeny postures he says to us. I want you to be kind to that waitress. I want you to tip. I want you to give more than 10% this morning. I want you to get up and read the word at five. Because like, yeah, we just rebuke the devil on all of those. <laughs> and by the way, I have a formula for knowing if it's God or devil. If you rebuke it more than three times and it don't go away, could be God. <laughs> and you guys that are married, if your wife tells you the same thing. Anyway, so... <laughs> If she only says it once, I don't pay attention to it. But after the third time, I'm going, this could be God. If it's not, it's her. It's the same thing. (laughs) For me, and I mean that. I just stepped off the path. Let me get back on here. So, Peter's fishing. So, in 36 inches of reposturing was the difference between toiling all night unsuccessfully and catching not only a multitude of fish, but starting a domino effect of things that led him to the feet of Christ, forgiveness from Christ, and a, and a commission to lead the apostolic headship of the New Testament church. It all started by one little teeny posture. So posturing, not just posturing, I don't mean posturing for, for a job, or, I'm talking about posturing in obedience to the word of the Lord. Because sometimes the word he gives you is so tiny and so small, you think it's insignificant when it can be the threshold to your next phase of destiny. You've got to really be careful to obey God in those little things. Someone said to me, what is your secret if you had a secret in life about ministry? And I said, extreme and unfettered obedience to the voice of the Lord. Extreme destiny in God requires extreme obedience to God. You will never be extreme in your, in your expression of God on the earth until you have extreme obedience in your life. In the little areas. Because it is the little foxes spoil the vine. See, we're all in for the big stuff, but very few of us want to tweak the little teeny weeny stuff. When in fact, that is what God is calling. This is what he called Peter to do. And so you know the story. He gets there, and when he gets there, uh, uh, when he swims ashore with 153 fish, just because that one little reposturing, he has this encounter with Jesus, and do you love me, Peter? Yes, I do. And go feed my sheep. And he gets recommissioned with 153 fish and breakfast cooked for him and reconnected with Jesus because he obeyed. Look, look at me, this. That's all he did and threw on that side. So it's not about your effort. It's about obeying God. If you can obey God, the slightest reposition can garner the greatest catch you've ever imagined. 
We've got to obey God. We'll get, so posture is important because destiny is relative to posture. Uh, finances are relative to posture. Anointing is relative to posture. Everything is relative to posture. Let me give you one more example. Noah, the ark. When God said to me, first of all, the law of obedience had to happen there. And again, God said to Noah, what did he say to Noah? Sometimes posturing yourself means you have to do something that you don't even understand why God would ask you to do this. Now, Noah didn't have a plan like, oh, I know why he's doing this because all the animals are coming. No. He, listen, the scripture said it had never rained on the earth before. When God said to Noah, I want you to posture yourself and build a boat because it's going to rain, he, never, he didn't know what that word was. Only dew went up and mist from the God and settled on the earth in the book of Genesis. It had never rained before. So when God said rain, God might as well be talking in tongues to him, like build an, build an ark. Just going to <laughs> and can you imagine Noah trying to tell everybody his posture? Well, what did God tell you? He said it's going to <laughs> You imagine Miss Noah going, would you please make that clear? And say, what are you building? A, and there's no word for a boat. They don't have a boat. So I'm building a hookah. And we'll obey God. And there's no need because it's never rained. He's out there building this. He's posturing himself for something he doesn't understand out of obedience to the word of the Lord. And so the greatest revival and that earth at that time was about to happen. The heavens were going to open. Rain was going to come. And every creature in the earth was going to make its way to the door of the ark, which is a type of Christ. One of the greatest revivals in history. And the guy doesn't even know what he's doing except obeying God to posture himself. So something looks stupid. Not only that, the critics were many. Everybody, can you imagine? There he is again. Oh, what you building, Noah? Interpretation? Nobody's got an interpretation for that. <laughs> but listen, when he, when he finished it and he postured himself, he didn't go get that. He just stood in the door and all of a sudden it began to rain and the animals started coming through that door. Two by two, male and female came to the, and for 40 days and nights, God changed this whole, the, the whole earth changed. The ark settled and he said, now inherit the earth. He stepped from one level of destiny to another because he simply obeyed God with a change of posture. Without knowing. See, we think if God tells us something, we have to understand the finite details of why God wants us to do that. And we need to get off a rear and just do what God said. Because he is a tad smarter than we are. <laughs> You'll say, well, well, I need to know what that's for. No, you deep need to know. You're on a, you and I, you know, we're on a need-to-know basis. You know why? Because we will truly mess it up if we understood. This is what I believe in. The greatest power that God has is coincidences. Coincidences is God's way of doing stuff in our life without us knowing about it because if he told us, we'd mess it up badly. So he makes it look like a coincidence. That's God's secret weapon against humanity is coincidences. Okay, one more. I mean, look, now that, that's enough of that, Joe. But, but let, me, let me give you the, why, why posturing is important. How about this? Jonah, here's how important posture, Jonah was the right man in the wrong place. Get this, the woman at the well was the wrong woman in the right place. It's not about righteousness, unright- it's about posture. Those that came to Noah's ark, it wasn't about how righteous, they could have been saved if they would have postured 
They said the door, the difference between dying in the flood and riding the crest of the greatest revival in recorded history was 16 inches to walk inside the door of that ark. And there was no qualification. You didn't have to speak in tongues. You didn't have to have a membership. All you had to do is believe it's going to rain and step into that ark. So the difference between the two was not whether you were riding Rome, but whether you were in the right place or the wrong place. Not about your condition or your performance. It's about the posture you're standing at and the piece of ground you're standing on that God has told you or given you the opportunity to. So, practical application. We need to ask God how we're postured. Lord, how we're postured. Relationally with him, while we're postured. is there anything, Lord, that you want me to do? Is there? And usually it's the little teeny things that go undone. And they're usually the most important things. And I could tell you some now, but you've been under such conviction you wouldn't want me to come back. So I'm going to just let you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, number two. Now, the law of posture plays into the law of adaptability. Posture is a frame of mind or an action that affects your behavior, attitude, your outlook, your position, your stance. What is adaptability? In ecology or the ecosystem, here's what adaptability is. It is the ability to cope with unexpected disturbances in your environment. In other words, you live in an environment. We're in an environment. Adaptability is a willingness to change and flow with unexpected disturbance in the ecosystem around you. So we live in a spiritual ecosystem. Let me say it this, oh, man, this is, oh. if I had 11th commandment, you know what it would be? Thou shalt be flexible. 12th commandment, thou shalt get a life. 13th commandment, thou shalt not take thyself that seriously. But we think, you know, well, I spend that way, I'm going to have a drink. Well, go ahead and die that way, whatever. Anything that's worth anything that becomes something evolves through a change of growth. It is God, God is known as a farmer. Farmers work on the law of adaptability. The seed adapts to the soil, and that adapts to the sprout, to the corn. I mean, there is a change. There's a process that goes into adaptability. So here's the deal. So in your trajectory in Christ to go where you go from glory to glory, there has to be uh, uh, adjustments made all the has to be flight plan adjustments. You ever been in that flight plan adjustment? You know, when they shot the uh, Paul, Apollo to the moon, one of the things that engineers knew: you don't just plot a course to the moon and shoot the thing. There's instantaneous, minute by minute course corrections along the way because the moon is traveling in orbit. The plane is going this way. There's got to be you just you can't just shoot to the moon and get there. When you get there, the moon's going to be over there. So on this trajectory with Christ, we have to have minute-to-minute course corrections. It's called growing in God. It's called changing. It's called being open to change. I don't mean being open to change to the part where change violates your convictions in Christ. But let me tell you something. Here's my 15 commandment. <laughs> Thou shalt be more negotiable than you've been. There are so many nego- negotiables in my life. There are some unnegotiables, which is the laws of Christ. But a lot of things we think are not negotiable are nothing but style. 
This is the way we've done it in the church. This is the way, the way it's a non-God. Not, my dad did it. My granddad did it that way. That's why we did this. This is the way I got saved. Well, maybe so. But God's a little more creative, a little more diverse than that. So we have a lot of non-negotiables that should be in the negotiable pile. Look at me and look at you. I don't see a tie hardly in this room. That was not a negotiable 30 years ago. Style, fashion. I remember when someone said in the 60s and the, the church then, you never know, but devil's at work. There's someday they probably, ain't no telling, they may be something brought gospel or something. And I'm thinking now, shoot, I'm about to produce the next heavy metal soaking album. But anyway, <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I'm saying from culture to culture, there has to be adaptability because, because how can I say this? I don't want to dilute God. God is the absolute. And he's absolute, but his father heart is so great. True strength humbles itself in the presence of weakness. Let me pray. True strength will, will restrain its strength in the presence of weakness. That's better the way it's said. Well, Jesus humbled himself and became a man. Like when you greet a little kid, you don't teach him algebra and go, look, I'm sorry. You get on your hands. You, you withhold your, because your strength is discouraging to them. They can't walk in that. You, you get on their level. You don't pull them to your level. So God, from culture to culture, I don't know how he does this. And Lord, you're so amazing, such a father. Literally bends over backwards to accommodate culture as much as he can stand it to some degree that some may be saved. That's what a real father and mother does with their children. They will go the extra mile when it just like for hopes and hopes that, that, that there's a turning there. I was a part of the hippie movement. I tell you what, we, you know, when I left church and joined the hippie movement, we weren't all that righteous. But God fell on a generation in the 60s. My goodness, shifted the world. And you know what? Most of the churches that I grew up in around hated us. Long hair, bell bottom. You know, Jesus saves and Jesus shaves. Was was like was was that was the that was the pre hippie culture. I mean, if it wasn't Jimmy Swagger, it wasn't God. I'm nothing wrong with Jimmy. I'm just talking about that style of music or more. Just over in glory land, and you had to go because that was God too. The church I grew up in, we could not play minor chords. I'm a musician since I was five. I couldn't play minor chords, couldn't play seventh, couldn't play ninths, couldn't play bar chords because they were demonic. Had to play open chords and a three-chord turnaround. If you threw a minor in there, you just stepped out into that Hollywood mess. <laughs> so it was, gee, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you won't see. Jesus on the main line, tell him, gee, Jesus on the main line. And here comes, here comes Monty, yeah, D, yeah, Jesus on the main line now. Back to G. That's it. Okay, enough of that. So flexibility is important. Adaptability in ecology. Okay, let me, let me, let me give you a better picture of this, hopefully. Uh, the genius of your existence. Let me talk to you about the genius of your existence in God. It is about you, but it's also just as much about your environment as it is you. Let me give you a good uh, picture if I can. Let me talk to you about the genius of a fish. You ever go to a pond and watch the fish in water? 
Is that genius of God? See how smooth they cut through the water and how, how incredibly beautiful and wonderful they are? It's like they, you go, ha, you ever seen a fish out of water on the bank? And you go, no, that's genius. <laughs> Eyes are popped out. Now, where's the genius? Is the genius in the fish? Partly. But is the genius in the fish mated to its assigned environment? A lot of the genius that many of us are looking for will only come through the law of posture and adaptability when we adapt and get in our assigned environment. Does the beauty of God come out of us? Because there's something we're made for, an environment, that when we step into our destiny and our calling with other people, that the beauty of God comes out. Have you ever been the flopping fish on the bank? You knew that you had a pur- purpose and destiny in God, but you were out of posture. You were out of, uh, you weren't ma- able to make the, 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 the adaptability to the uh, next environment that God has called you to, no matter what that is, and you're there on the bank flopping or on somebody's stringer. With a picture being taken, they'd be going like, The way we interact with our environment either marginalizes or minimizes our destiny. So it's not just about you. It's about the, your genius if you're in your right environment because it's all the other people and all the other circumstances that make you look better. Yeah? Oh, yeah. That's why certain places are made for certain people. And that's why you're here. This is your environment. And if God puts you in this environment, you step out of here, you're going to look like spirit of stupid. It's all over you somewhere else. Because this is where you have grace to swim. And this is where when you swim, people go, that is beautiful. You try it somewhere else, and they go, throw him out. God can never maximize your creative space and enlarge your space unless you are willing to enlarge your capacity to swim in new places and new things. I don't mean go new places. I'm talking swim in an environment that God has created for you or to enlarge your capacity to grow in that environment. I'm going to say this about adaptability. I'm just going to touch it because it's too dangerous you to think all the way through or for me but just there's a thing called i call gift shift that has to do with assignment adaptability posture and environment and this is it someone said which gift spiritual gift or gift is the best the one that's needed at the moment but see we we start finding our identity in a particular gift and never stray from that gift And sometimes that gift has an expiration date on it to take you to one stage of your destiny, and there has to be a gift shift to get you to the next one. Yeah, I give you a picture of that, a model. Joseph understood how to adapt. Adaptability was a secret weapon in Joseph's soul. Joseph, the Old Testament. What got him 
to survive the first 33 years of his life was his prophetic gift. He had a dream as a kid, interpreted it, told. Remember that when he told his family? They sent him on a missionary trip. <laughs> One way. Yeah. And they, they were like, oh my gosh, he was a dreamer. He was a prophetic child. What does he do in prison? Prophesy. Starts a church with a butler and a baker. Two people in his church. And prophesies for 13 years. Prophesies over one of them. Prophesies. His prophetic gifts working. Then God is about to pull him into a new destiny. He's still got the gift. He steps into the, uh, I didn't even want to talk about the, the law of honor. That's a whole other thing. Who you honor or dishonor will definitely determine your future. So, so he steps into this place. And what does the king say? I hear you're a prophetic God that interprets dreams. Now his, his prophetic gift is still working. And it's taking him to a place. But once he interpreted, honor was, oh, thou great and mighty king, you know, God has shown you. He totally honored this, this dumb guy leading Egypt, the CEO of Egypt. And he said, oh, my God, that's it. Now, this king is about to give him what God showed him as a boy. But he couldn't run and that piece of his destiny with the gift that he began with only. From that point forward, there's no record of Joseph ever interpreting another dream or ever giving another prophetic word because he stepped in from a prophetic to an apostolic CEO, fathering, administrative, marketplace anointing. That was different than the jail ministry he had. Nothing wrong with the jail ministry. But the bottom line in that day was that Pharaoh was not coming to his church in the jail. He had to go to Pharaoh's courts to bring the church with him. And the gift that got him there was a prophetic. The gift that kept him there was an administrative apostolic marketplace anointing. Did he lose it? Probably not. But did he use it? I have no record of that because he's in a different, a different assignment requires a different gifting. So which gift is the best for you? The one that is needed in the assignment that you're in. That's why you can truly say, if you're in God, I can do all things through Christ who strength. Not like all at once, but whatever position I'm in that God puts me in, I have confidence I can do that position. Because Christ is in me and all the gifts are resident. But the best one is the one I need for the assignment I'm in now. Stop trying to use your old gift if you're in a new place and find out, don't dis despise it. You know, matter of fact, the best thing to do is give it to somebody that needs it and equip the saints to do that work and then step into your new office. Just remember, <laughs> everything comes to pass. Nothing comes to stay. That's why you got to change. I mean, ooh, ooh, I, 60s jumped out on me right there. That's, I think that was, uh, my goodness, who was that? You got to change your evil ways. Yeah, Santana. Who said that? Where are you at? Where are you at? 
oh, he's an older guy like me. Oh, well, you know what's going on with you. Oh, uh, yeah. Be, it takes courage to change. Be courageous enough to change when God brings change into your life. Ecclesiastes puts it this way. There's a season for everything under the sun. There's a time to gather thorns, time to throw stones away, time to live, time to die, time to cry. Time to... So we need to learn the, <clears throat> the, to be adaptable to the seasons that God has set us in. There's nothing more discouraging and feeling down than to be yesterday's anointing because it has worms. Our yesterday's man of God, our yesterday's, I mean, you can live on your, your, your reputation for a while, but it's better to be today's fresh flow. The only way you're going to do that is to change. And, and when I mean change, I don't mean change in something bad. I mean change as in the linear change that Corinthians 3.18 says, for we are made, we are changed from glory to glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there's a linear elevated process of change becoming more and more like him. So, seasons change, destinies remain. The seasons change. Lastly, okay, what, what does that mean? What does that bring us to? The law of serendipity. Serendipitous, I know is a new age word that I've taken back. But serendipity is this. It is the accidental discovery of something wonderful and joyous. If something serendipitous, Serendipitous happens to you, it means there's a pleasant surprise that you weren't expecting happen. You would have never gifted it. It's serendipity. It is a happy something that happens to you coincidentally that you had no like, wow, like when you met your wife, or wow, when your husband, or wow, when you, when you won the lottery, like, whoa, where did that come from? Serendipity. But serendipity carries with it the DNA of joy. So if something bad happens, that's not serendipity. That could be the devil. But serpentipity. It's a difference. Eve had serpentipity. But serendipity is when good things happen seemingly coincidentally, and you never would have guessed it in a million years. It was not about your effort. It was not about your, your labor. It was about God. Just, it's just about like, ooh, surprise. Hello. Like the birthday party you're not expecting. You walk in the room and everybody goes, happy birthday. Oh, my God. Here's what I want to say to you about serendipity. What's the next move of God going to look like? I don't have any idea. And if I told you, God would change it. Because <laughs> we'll mess it up. If we know, we'll, we'll mess it up. So here's what you should expect, the unexpected. Every move of God that's been a, a legitimate move of God rarely looks like the last one. And the last one will persecute the next one because it looks so unlike them. And I've been careful at 65 not to make the mistake that my generation made when I was in my 20s. And I began pastor and ministry and preaching in my 20s who rejected me because of the way I looked. I still had my hair down. I still wore bell-bottoms, hip-hugger pants, and with a belt buckle on the side and played Allman Brothers music. You know, it's like Hendrix was, Jimi Hendrix, as far as I'm concerned, was the fourth person of the Trinity.
I mean, he wrote a song about renewal called Fire. <laughs> Let me stand next to your fire. Well, that's a whole renewal song. <laughs> he wrote a black young. Jesus over the wind cries Mary. I mean, <laughs> Catholics love him. Man, I need to move on. Okay. Here's what I call, I have a name for God, Jehovah Surprise. Or Boo, that's my nickname for him, Boo. Yeah. I just going to go, Boo, go, wow, what was that? God sneaks up on us. He really does. So if you're not standing at the radical edge of serendipity, you need to move over, give somebody else some room to jump. We just like it the same way. It's just got to be the same way. It's got to be the same Be open to serendipity. Let me tell you how revival and the move of God in the Bible relates to serendipity. There's no great move of God in the Bible that was perceived. It was all serendipitous. Think about it. I'm going to give you just a couple. Of, I know you're thinking your head swimming. No, yeah. Any major thing happened. Abraham wasn't in the land of Urukaldes going, how can I get out of here and fast enough to start a great move of God and, and have all this and be the father of faith? No. What did he do? God says, get out of here. No, God... As I said, the other thing, if God was from Alabama, he'd say, Abraham, get her done and get out. He goes, where? God says, didn't tell you where. I just said, get. That's tough. God didn't say, get out of here and go because I'm going to make you a father of many nations and you're going to be amazing going on in history. No, he thought, he's like, my gosh. He walked away from Urukaldes where he was a businessman with Sarah not knowing where he's going. And Jehovah surprised finally snuck up on him and gave him a vision that you're going to be the father of nations, but it was after. He never, you think Abraham goes, I knew that was coming. <laughs> no. You know what this, and he said, you're going to have a child. You know what it says? And Abraham, re, reverse engineer this one. And Abraham staggered not at the promises of God, which means he probably was trying really hard not to stagger the promises of God. <laughs> I, I'm 90, what? It said an era can... Sarah considered not, would reverse that one. In other words, she had a lot of doubt. Considered not that she had passed the flower of her age. That's King James for her. She'd just be too old. <laughs> you think they thought Isaac was going to happen? Sarah laughed. Say, this is a woman of faith. You knew that a revival of Isaac's coming to promise. Now she's going, <laughs> serendipity. They didn't choose God, God's expression. He chose an expression through them. Revival is serendipitous. Every major move of God. How about Noah? Do you think Noah said, you know what? I think God wants to do something. I'm going to start a revival. What I'm going to do is build a boat and tell everybody it's going to highlight like I God's going, man, that's good. Did you hear that, boys? No, no. That was totally serendipitous. How about, oh, I got so many, I just do. How about David bringing, you know, David? 
He takes down Goliath, turns the tide of Israel, kills the, takes Judah back. By the way, Goliath was encamped in Shukol, which was the capital city of Judah. And that's where the enemy always tries to find his entry is into the worship of God's people. That's because that's, he was an experienced worship leader, and he knows the tricks. He knows all, that's all another thing. Very critical spot. And by the way, you guys did great here today. I love that. It's another reason I like coming here, your worship. But what did he do? Do you think he thought, I'm going to go up today at the battle, and I'm going to say, this day God has delivered you into my hand. No. It was David's catering service. <laughs> Jesse says, go visit your brothers, see how they're doing, and bring them some bananas, uh, uh, peanut butter and banana sandwich. <laughs> you live in the South, you know what that is. Or buttermilk and cornbread. Bring some buttermilk cornbread. Turnip greens. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. He shows up thinking he's just going to deliver sandwiches. And as he's delivering sandwiches, something serendipitous happens. He goes, who's that that's cursing the church? He goes, God, he goes, that ain't right. And the anointing falls on him. Do you think he planned that? No. The whole tide of, 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 of Israel, the warfare, the church, everything changed from that day forward because of a serendipitous anointing that came upon a man that had postured himself in obedience. You know how simple obedience that was? David, not to go be the greatest prophet and king in the world. He didn't know that. David, go deliver these sandwiches to your brother in the battle. He's just obedient to his dad. And out of that reposturing and out of the adaptability to go out of his pastoring the sheep into and, and war and deliver the sandwiches, God, it, listen, one step leads to another, and you can never get to where you're going until you take those steps, and you never know what the next step is going to look like. Just obey God. And he said, this day shall God deliver you to my hands. And he takes, you know, that whole story. He just like, my gosh, from that day forward, Saul goes, whoa, this guy, I want this guy in the house. And he becomes king of Israel and is one of the greatest renowned kings in the Bible. His son Solomon, the same thing. Because he didn't prethink anything, God sprung a serendipitous moment upon him. Most of the great moves of God in your life, most of the great things happen to you will be serendipitous. They won't be preplanned by anybody else or by you. Because usually everything I think of that's going to be great for me never comes to pass. I'm thinking that would have worked really good for me. Because I am a legend in my own mind. Because I can do that. But see, God never puts us in things we can do. He puts us in things we grow into. How about this one? I'll go. Mary. How about Mary. Do you think Mary was, woke up one day and said, you know what, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow me and, and the Son of God's going to be born in me. <laughs> and the reason, no, we were in church the other day singing, and I just felt the anointing, the Lord gave me a vision. It's like, and there's going to be a great revival. The whole, the whole creation is going to be changed. I, I, I can feel it in my spirit. I have a witness. I feel led. <laughs> no, you, you think she wasn't caught off guard? Like the Holy Spirit overshadows her? You know what I love about Mary. Next week's Mother's Day. I love it. Mary, she said, let it be unto me. She didn't know what was going on. All she knew was, I'm ready to reposture. I don't understand it, but let it be unto me according to thy will, O God. I love that. That's all you need to know. God, do what you need to do. As serendipitous as it seems. And she didn't know. 
that what the end result was going to be. But she began, and out of that came this serendipitous moment. How about the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias? You know how his, remember when the angel visited him in the temple? And the angel said, your son is going to be John. He shall be called his name John. He shall be a forerunner for the Christ, the whole thing. Do you, do you know Zacharias didn't go to the temple? Think if I go there, I'm about to get a minute. It says, and he went to work in the course of his priesthood. In other words, there were like you have to, the night shift, the day shift. He wasn't expecting revival. He was just showing up for work. Do you understand? Some people, I got to, I got to, no, just show up for work and you might have a serendipitous moment. The angel's looking for maybe waiting at your job. Boy, I just stepped in a bunch of stuff there. But why is everybody trying to quit what they're doing to go do something they don't know what? But I mean, it's like, my God, it, it may be right there. He shows up faithful to posture himself in the environment God put him in, although he was just serving as a priest. And out of that came a serendipitous moment, and an angel is waiting for him there. You think he preconceived that? Well, I, had a, I knew it was going to happen. Got a prophetic word about that. Saw it in a dream, fell it in my spirit, had four goosebumps running up and down the back of my leg. No. I'm about finished. <laughs> How about this one? This is the grandiose one. Day of Pentecost. Do you think they were really up there waiting for power from on high? I don't know, but if you was in room, I bet the faith level wasn't that high. But what had they done? Only two things. One, they obeyed Jesus. Go and wait. And they did the second thing. Forsake not the assembling together. Didn't say assembling in unity. Just said assemble. If you want to fight, go ahead. But go assemble yourself together. Can you imagine it? Probably going, Peter, wouldn't you? Know, wouldn't Peter, wouldn't you? I tell you what, I don't know. We're dead. We're this thing's going down. What do we do? Start another church? What do we do? Go back to our church? Like, I, I, 30 days. Was it 30 or 40? Excuse me. Well, 10 days they were asleep. So for 30, 30, 40 days they're there. Do you think they were thinking any minute now there's going to come a sound like a mighty Russian wind? No serendipitous moment. God waited till they least expected anything supernatural to happen. Except they obeyed him and postured themselves. That's all he's asking for you is the Mary principle. Posture yourself and say, I, I, I'm done. As far as I know what to do, but according to your will, let it be, O oh God, and I'm just obeying you in the little pity thing as much as I can. And out of that will come this serendipitous force that will impact your life forever. Because he's Jehovah's surprise. He just, he, I don't know if he's bored or what, but he loves just booing us. Like, woo! Ah! He, remember, he did to the disciples. They're gathered out of fear in the room. And said, he walks through the door and goes, boo! And they go, ah! You know, they, some, it's a ghost. And he goes, ah, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's all right. I love that part of Jesus. He just, you know, sneaks up on you when you go, ah! Goes, ah don't do that. He's done that to me. He, I woke up last year in the middle of the night, and the Lord audibly, he said, Larry. And I woke up asleep, and I said, what, Lord? I'm thinking if he made the trip from heaven, he's going to reveal to me the, the eighth trumpet and the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation and Daniel's 70 weeks, how that ties into the Urim and Thummim in the Old Testament and the cloth of purple. and the inner tri- he, I said, Larry, and I said, yes, Lord. He said, just want to let you know I'm still here. <laughs> what? Thank you. 
That's a good feeling. Because that postured self-confidence in me to meet a serendipitous moment that was coming. That I needed that confidence for. Okay. So, upper room. They're all gathered together. And I don't think they're going, fire, 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 fire. There was no, I don't think there was no fire tunnel. You know, like, just go run through, Peter, run through. No, yeah, run through. You know? No. They were, they were pretty distressed. Peter, you know, he said, he just went back to fishing. Him and Bill Dance took off. But said, then there came a sound. They're like, what? What had they done? Obey Jesus and gather together. That's all required because Jesus said, if you obey him and where two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst of them. Do you understand that Jesus has to go to every church service in the world because there's more than two or three people? <laughs> Jesus is at every church. I don't care the Catholic church, Lutheran church, this church. And Jesus is ever. And I said, poor Jesus. If he needed it, he doesn't, so so might help. <laughs> Where's the father in this room? Like, can you imagine going? But no, but they just obey because they were gathered together. Just say they were gathered together and like everybody's good. It's just something about no, no major move of God ever happened in the Bible until people gathered together. There's show me one. Somebody had a revival by themselves. No, it doesn't happen. So here comes this mighty rushing wind. They're discontented. And this is what I love. And it began different than it felt and felt different than it ended and ended different than it began. Okay, wait, wait, think about it. What did they do? They heard something. What did they hear? Mighty rushing wind. So if you heard a wind, what do you think you should see? Clouds, rain? No, they hear wind and see flames of fire. Like, what? It's God messing with them again. They hear a mighty rushing wind. That's God going, and they see tongues of fire. Okay, you think, okay, I get that. Okay, we got that jump, Lord. We, we got it. We made that turn with you. All right, wind means fire. But fire should mean I'm burning up. No, not drunk. How do you get, unless it's fire water? How do you get drunk out of tongues of fire? I mean, think about the leap. You hear? So it's like serendipitous. It's so, like God so mixes it up. They can't, they can't guess what's going to happen next. They don't know. Because they hear everybody rushing around. They run to the wind and they see tongues of fire. Oh, my God. When it lands on them, they're going, whoa. It's like instead of speaking, you know, they're drunk. And then the next thing that happened is Peter gets boldness. That, there you go. How did all that come from a wind? We go from wind to flames of fire to drunkenness. And Peter's bold and preaching like Billy Graham. How did that happen? He's the one that denied Christ not long before that. Serendipity, posture, environment. <laughs> A revival of the supernatural was released serendipitously, serendipitously upon them because it's according to the pleasure of God. So, practical application, finish. Get a life. Quit trying to induce your destiny. 
Nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong. With, but don't, you, the, all the planning in the world is not going to bring you to the place God wants you to be if you're not postured properly in your heart and your soul and your spirit, and sometimes geographically, but if you're not adaptable to, to change what needs to be changed. And if you're not open to the unexpected, you will never reach where God wants to take you. Because it's so far beyond your imagination. You will imprison yourself in preconceived ideas about who you are. I've got a ninth grade education with a GED from Arkansas that had RAD, reactive attention disorder, a reactive whatever. It was not good. I, I ain't going to talk about it or look at it. You want to say it. So, but I mean, that's why I, I, mean, I had, I was very shut down person as a boy. Never lived in Arkansas, never thought I'd ever leave the state of Arkansas. And the serendipitous moments, but my heart always wanted what God wanted. So my, the serendipitous, if I would have chosen, if I would have thought through what God was going to do in my life, I wouldn't even have the courage to go there. So anymore, I leave pretty much tomorrow up to God, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, and take no thought for tomorrow. What shall eat or wear or drink? So I learned to get a life. In other words, I'm not stressing out about what I'm going to become. If I try too hard to ministry, I always mess it up. Because I get anxiety attacks. I have prone, I have, I've had a life of anxiety uh, disorder heart palpitations, heart arrhythmias. If I try too hard to be good, to do good, to preach good, to prophesy, it, it triggers all that stuff. So I have to just say, I just got to get a life and be me. Because God likes me most when I'm me because God's attracted to authenticity. He loves, he don't like me being Bob Jones. He don't like me being Rick. He don't like me being Billy Graham. He, don't, he likes me being me because that's the way he painted me and he likes to see me like he remembered he dreamed about me before the foundations of the world. That's, that's the way he likes me. That's why it's very dangerous to dishonor someone else because you're dishonoring a painting of a master artist just because you don't like it. That's why John says, how can you say you love God and don't honor those made in the image of God? If you say that, you're a liar. Because everyone that loves an artist loves his paintings. But anyway, enough of, enough of that. Let me end this. Get a life. <laughs> Learn to sing in the dark. And if you can't sing and smile and praise a door open, don't kick it open. Don't make it happen. Last, Paul and Silas. Serendipitous moment. Bomb the prison. Paul didn't go up and go, I have supernatural powers. I command that door to be open in Jesus' name. <laughs> and a little Pentecostal in there, you know. Then say, hey, are you all right? Now check the door. See if it's, no, no, so we'll pray again. Okay, in Jesus' name. And you know, check it again, uh, Silas. Check the door. No. Darkness of night, they're in prison. What did they do? Start singing. We gotta get out of this place. <laughs> you gotta be over 50 to even know what I'm saying. 
If it's the last thing we ever do, girl, there's a better life for me and you. Uh-huh. Paul looks over at Silas and goes, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Silas is going, fly like an eagle in the sky. I, I, don't, I don't know what they were saying. I'm just assuming that's what they were doing. Paul goes, yeah, because we're born to be wild. <laughs> Silas is going, my mama don't dance and my daddy don't speak in tongues. I don't know. <laughs> I assume that's what they were doing. They were singing in the dark. They weren't trying to pry their way out to a new destiny. They just, they were adapting to their environment, knowing that their heart would change the circumstances in God. And as they sang in the dark and worshiped God and just trusted God and got a life, they weren't going, oh, God, I don't deserve it. They were just like happy in God. An angel opened the doors. An earthquake shook the place. And something serendipitous happened. You think they were expecting? Solace go, yeah, I knew that was coming. Had, yeah, he's probably going, shoot, fire. And they walk out of the prison. I love that. I love that. And I have literally looked through the Bible, every circumstance, to find something God did where people got it before he did it. There is none. There is none. And if there is, he changes it. Because <laughs> you ever tell your kids before Christmas where you're hiding their present, you have to move it. Because they will get into it before they should. So we just have to, so what do we do? Love God, trust God. Uh, let our genius shine in the environment that we're in because people make us look better. Um, obey your wife. No, I mean that. Are you, I mean, husband, give honor there. I, I, I'm being honest as I know how to be. When I don't know what to do, when I'm not hearing from God, I ask my wife. And... Uh, not all the time, she, but she's got a pretty good batting average. And the reason I know is the look that I get after is like, I know you told me. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know it's true. You know it's true. Because she's watching us all the time, so she's learning my language and my, you know, anyway. So, anyway. So, I said, God wouldn't be telling you stuff if you weren't married to me. Anyway, some credit there somewhere. No, I've seen we learn from each other. We learn from our spouses. We learn from our family. We learn, you know, hey, if you ever stop learning, you ever stop changing, you ever stop growing, you're disqualified. If you ever be on the reach of being corrected in a loving way, but the smallest of anybody, you're disqualified. That's what I love the best about Bob Jones, my final story. I've said it twice. My wife says, quit doing it. If you say final, mean final, but she's not here. Uh, my final story. The thing I love the most about Bob Jones was we were at Rick Joyner's. 97 or 98. Bob is elderly in his years then. Rick says, you and Bob, Larry, need to go down and minister to the kids. 
So we go down and minister to the kids, and Bob goes, <laughs> you know, I'm going to take you up today, you know. You know, it's like, so he takes you up. And your hands, you go, did you go up? You go, no. He goes, next. Yes, you did. Uh, no, anyway, that's, you know, confident. You went up. If I said you did, you did. So, okay. So we're going to take them up to heaven. At the end, I said, I want to open up for questions or any word. Does anybody have a prophetic word for me or Bob? And these are like three-year-olds to six-year-olds. That's dangerous. <laughs> they have no filters. <laughs> yeah. Like Jack Deere said, somebody, a three-year-old asked him, Dr. Dr. Deere, when Noah brought the mouth, how could he tell the difference between the male and the female worm? <laughs> Okay, son. Next. So, so I said, hey, prophesy. Got a word. This little five-year-old puts his hand up like this. And he goes, I got a word for Bob Jones. Oh, boy. He stands up and puts his shoulders back like this. And he goes, Bob Jones, the Lord said to tell you when you grow up, you're going to be a real man of God. Who else would have said that to Bob Jones? I wouldn't go say that. And, you know, and, and there was something going on because I think, I'm not looking at Bob, and I go, okay, we're done. We're going out, and if you know Bob, you know, he's walking like this, and he goes to me, he goes, I needed that. <laughs> and he goes, I mean it, I needed that. I go, if, if you've you got to be willing to at least entertain adjustments from other people. And if it doesn't work, just thank them and all of them. Say, thank you for loving me enough to tell me that. Great. So anyway, Father, we thank you for this is a day that you have made. And I just want to bless. We bless this house. We bless this thing. When I went into the bathroom this morning for whatever, I just, sitting, I just went in there for a minute and, and uh, was walking out the door. I felt like the Lord, I felt this thing. That he's re, there's repositioning going on in this house. There's reshuffling. There is a re, uh, you know, like reordering of some things and environments and people that are in environments are going to shift into another environment. And, I've, and I'm just running a risk saying this because no specifics on to say. I believe you guys are in the middle of an environment shift in the house here and positions and authorities and things like that. And uh, God will give grace. Don't worry about it. It's good. But God uh, is going to have, make sure every person is placed in the right place for the full maximum expression of the church and what he's doing here. There's nothing worse than trying to... Uh, to work outside of your scope of your gifting or calling or whatever, you know. So sometimes we have to readjust. So I saw the readjustments happening. And so I don't know what they were. I just saw some readjustments, and it was really the kindness of God. So be open to readjustments. Be open to God doing things a little bit differently with people and maybe shifting one person, this person, this spot, the other part, this, whatever it means. I just bless that, and I bless that in the Father's house. Um, the Lord, is, he is he's creative. He's always redecorating. And uh, so, Lord, we thank you for the redecorating. I saw Lord redecorating some things and redoing some things, and not redoing, but reshifting or shifting rather, a few things here and there. And according to your good pleasure, Lord. And we we open that in all of our lives, in our personal lives, in our church, in our work, our job, our families, all of that. We thank you for the design craftsman to rearrange whatever you need to to and whatever you need to do. Let us know. We're open to that, Lord. I bless this church for that. And I bless the environment here, that, and I bless the genius of God 
that is in this environment, Lord, as you give them greater capacity to swim and greater waters and deeper waters and to be able to project the genius of God's serendipitous nature in every person in this place. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers and they're doing at least they're doing a ton of stuff, but they're doing the most major part, and that's two things, obeying you to come together and gather together. And that is sort of the premise, Lord, of what you said. If you'll do that, anything can happen. Anything can happen. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, and don't be discouraged if somebody's having this great global revival. And you're not, Listen, you are God's workmanship, and you're right where God wants you. And if you'll keep gathering like the day of Pentecost, your moment will come, your time will come, or maybe God wants you to do something different. Be, be comfortable in where you're at, but open to adaptability and to change when God says step up to the plate. So, Lord, I bless this church with peace. I bless this church with the peace of God and the growth cycles of God and, and this amazing sense of adaptability that's here and the waters that are here. Um, we thank you for the calming of that sea. And we thank you for your word penetrating in great ways. But most of all, I, we don't underestimate the power of just gathering together. That's what families do. And as you gather together, the strength is in your gathering, not in your aloneness. So, Lord, we thank you for the gathering of the saints here. And with the gathering of saints, there's nothing you can't do. It's a platform for the supernatural. It's a platform for serendipity. So, Lord, I release... I, like I am something, Lord. I, I'm asking you to release the spirit of serendipity here, that people begin to have serendipitous encounters with God as they come into this house. This church would have serendipitous encounter with God. And if there's certain areas that gifts need to shift and a gift shift needs to happen, that you call it to, cause it to happen in a way and naturally, in such a way that it seems right, and it's God. Thank you, Lord. You're a father and a family man. Thank you for your fatherhood over this house, your amazing heart over this house, over the leaders, over the congregation, over everyone in this place, over the little children who one day will grow up and be our senators and our presidents. And our, Thank you for the, that this is not just an institution. It is a generational house of genealogy of the Lord from culture to culture to generation to generation. Lord, we ask for you to help us in this house, in the houses in this nation, to begin to pour into the generations that are come and invest our gifts upon those that are, that are at our feet. Many people, many of you in this house do not know because if God told you, you would mess it up. You do not know the children at your feet, the, 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 the world changers, they're going to be one day. The, the people that leave this church when they get older and go to other jobs or vocation with the other, you have no idea that what they got here and what's invested in him will go into your account in heaven, into the bank of heaven. You have equity there. It will go in there because great men in God and women of God are in child form like Jesus. The Savior of the world started out as a baby who couldn't even change his diaper. Nobody would ever have guessed that that little baby that couldn't talk would be the savior of the world, except a few shepherds and three wise men was the only audience he had. But Lord, in this place are great men and women of God, in the nursery, in the children, in your grandchildren. I see in this place, I right now by the Spirit, I see grandchildren. You that are grandparents in this place, I see grandchildren in this place. You are going to be amazed at the number of world-changing grandchildren going to come out of this house. 
in the, in the, in the century, in the decades to come. I'm talking about in the, in the realm of medicine and science and government and, um, and, and technology. And it's, I mean, there's going to be a great number, great, great, like an overriding number of your grandchildren here. They're going to rise to great Daniels and Josephs in Babylon. And it's going to be because you provided a house for them for serendipity to happen to them. You provided a place just to gather together and family and comfort for them, to posture them for an age and a time that you and I won't even be here. So, Lord, thank you. We bless the children. We bless the grandchildren. We bless the babies in this place, the next generation, to carry on the work of the kingdom in Jesus' name. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. You're so wise. You don't live in a time-cramped space like we do. My goodness. We, we, just, we have to trust you. You are definitely smarter. Really are. I admit that. More loving, more caring. You're a greater father than us. We love you, Lord. We're patiently waiting your fatherly instructions. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm laying hands on myself. So I do that sometimes. If I start to fall down and I've learned how to catch myself with my left hand, so I don't let myself push myself down. But anyway, Pastor.